Sister Jordan reminded us now, put something on your mind to think about the goodness of your Lord. If, if you had trouble doing that right now, let me remind you what the Lord has done for you. He woke you up this morning and started you on your way, put food on the table and clothes on your back. Not only that, but he saved your soul. He's made you whole. He's kept you. The things you've been through did not kill you, but he kept you in it. He delivered you from some things, and God is so powerful and so merciful that he can keep you in the things that you're in right now. He's good to us. The song would say it like this, when I think about the goodness of Jesus and all that he's done for me, my soul cries out, hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord, for blessing me. Lord, we, we thank you, Jesus. We thank you, Jesus. We thank you, Jesus. We thank you, Jesus. We thank you for your power. We thank you for your love, your everlasting love, a perfect love that casts out fear, a perfect love that keeps us from the enemy, a perfect love that covers our sin, a perfect love that gives us eternal salvation, a perfect love that brought us into this room today. Even with our brokenness, even with the pain, even with the struggle, you loved us and we praise you, Lord. We praise you, Lord, not only for what you have done for us, but just who you are. A glorious king, majestic with all power and all dominion, all authority, all might, all strength. And you revealed yourself as a loving father. You revealed yourself through the power, through the person of your son to be with us. Emmanuel, God with us in the good, in the bad, in the joys and the sorrows, you are with us. And we praise you now. We thank you now. Lord, I pray for every single person in this room. I don't know what everybody is going through, but you do. You know the struggles, you know the joys, the sorrows, the good, the bad that comes with this life that you've given us, God. Would you bless, would you shepherd, would you help us be a church that lives in incarnation with one another? that reflects your goodness and your glory to one another in the way that we love one another, God. Would you be with us? Would you strengthen us? Would you keep us today? In Jesus' name, I pray. Amen. Good morning again, church. You guys, uh, y'all can stay, stay uh, standing. We're going to go ahead and dig into the Word really quickly. Today we'll be in... Uh, We'll be in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 23 through 24. As we continue in our sermon series around defining the relationship, today we'll be talking about the topic of, of dating. I heard that. Uh, I figured we would get a few of those. I'm sure all of us have different perspectives and experiences around this conversation and there's not a, the cultural practice in updating is not necessarily in the Bible. But I often think the way we read the Bible shapes how we think about this topic. We often believe that since the cultural practice of dating is not in the Bible, that the Bible is irrelevant to the dating conversation. But today I want to lift up 
a vision of what God has called us to in community. First Timothy 3.16, it says that all scripture is God-breathed and useful for teaching and rebuke and correction and training up in righteousness so that the man or woman of God may be perfect or complete, equipped for every good work. And so when we're talking about dating, what we need is righteousness. We need holiness. We need love. We need wisdom. And the Bible may not specifically talk about the topic of dating, but the Bible does provide those things for us through relationship with Jesus. And so my prayer, my hope today is that we could glean from God's word in order for us to have healthy, positive, flourishing relationships with one another as we think about this topic. 1 Corinthians 10 verses 23 through 24 says this, everything is permissible, but not everything is beneficial. Everything is permissible, but not everything builds up. No one is to seek his own good, but the good of the other person. Let's pray. Lord God, we thank you for your Holy Spirit. I pray that your spirit would empower it. It would teach. He would teach and correct and convict us in righteousness that your Holy Spirit would lead us into all truth. May your faithful love come to us, your salvation as you promised. Help us now in community be hearers and doers of your word and to reflect your glory in our relationships with one another. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Everybody can have your seat. Manti Teo was a All-American linebacker at the University of Notre Dame. Like, y'all already laughing. Why y'all laughing? Y'all silly. In 2012, his story became national news as it was reported that he lost his grandmother and his girlfriend on the same day during the season. It was reported that his girlfriend had died of some type of cancer, and this story of tragedy compelled fans across the nation to cheer for him and support him in different ways. Despite his grief, his loss, he went on to have a Heisman caliber season leading his team to a national championship appearance. This story of tragedy led to a story of triumph where this young man overcame the odds and was able to perform at the highest level. But later on, news began to surface about his girlfriend's death. Some began to do some digging and some research to assess his claim of losing his partner during the season. And after several reporters found information, it was revealed that his girlfriend did not exist. Taylor was exposed before the whole world. This story of triumph to tragedy had now became a story of Humiliation, story of embarrassment, of social rejection. Teo, of course, was disoriented by this reality. He'd been catfished. Catfishing is, for, for those who may not know, is when someone creates a fictional persona on social media in order to lure people into relationship. 
We can only imagine the humiliation, the public and national embarrassment that he must have felt when he found out that he fell in love with someone who did not exist. And whether you can relate to this specific experience or not, when it comes to dating, many of us can relate to the reality of dating real people who created false versions of themselves in order to take advantage of us, to manipulate us into believing that they were somebody that they were not. Maybe even some of us have been in that different position where we have presented ourselves with a false version of ourselves in order to be accepted and received by people that we fear will reject us. Intentions and values may be hidden in the beginning of these relationships where things are exposed when things really hit the fan. When expectations are not met, when boundaries are crossed, when conflict happens, when true colors show, this could leave us disoriented wounded by relationship, and not only wounded and disoriented, but discontented with God, because he has created us for relationships, and he's called us into the church, and sometimes our dating experience, our relationships in the church do not reflect his vision for our relationships. We live in that struggle, that tension this morning, and we find ourselves seeking a word from the Lord. What does God have to say about the culture of dating? What about the dating process? My my goal this morning is that our posture in dating should be shaped by the desire and commitment to strengthen the faith of our brothers and sisters regarding of the outcome of dating. Our main reflection this morning as we enter into this topic is this, our freedom in dating must be rooted in our responsibility to love others. That the process of dating is not only about finding love, but being loving people who put others before themselves. If I had a working definition for what dating would be, it would be this, that dating is a intentional relational process where two people cultivate friendship together within the boundaries God has set getting to know each other over a period of time while assessing God's will for the relationship through prayerful reflection, abiding in the word, and consulting mature believers for insight and direction. That this process of dating cannot be established without a commitment to friendship, a commitment to community, and a commitment to the principles God has set before us in his word. Paul is writing to the Corinthian church. I love reading 1st, 2nd Corinthians. This church is spiritually gifted, financially prosperous. This church is filled with wisdom and knowledge, but this church got problems. They were under the impression that spiritual giftedness was a sign of spiritual maturity. They thought that because of what God had given them, that meant that they had a favor with God that meant that they could neglect their spiritual formation. But this ultimately led to divisions in the church. And Paul, throughout this letter, is applying the gospel to these pressing issues within the church. And here in this section, 1 Corinthians 10, Paul is 
teaching the Corinthian church about how they should use their freedom. Their freedom of what to eat, what to drink, what to do, where to go. They are under the impression that they can use their freedom as a license to do whatever they want it to do. But Paul teaches them that they should use their freedom as Christians, not as a license to serve themselves, but a freedom to serve in love for the sake of Christ and the good of others. When we're talking about this dating conversation, we have to start off with how should we think and use this freedom? How should we think and serve in a way that will reflect God's glory and bring out the most good for God's people? First in verse 23, we see that Paul is exhorting these Corinthians to use their, their freedom to bless others. Verse 23 says that everything is permissible, but not everything is beneficial. Everything is permissible, but not everything builds up. Paul is using what the Corinthians are using to reject his instruction. The Corinthians have understood their freedom as a means to enjoy pleasure and convenience at the expense of the faith of others. One commentator would say it like this, this phrase, everything is lawful, everything is permissible, is repeated twice. It embodies a Corinthian rejection to Paul's instruction on how they ought to think about their freedoms. Simply because an action was permissible or lawful or they were allowed to do it, did not make it good or healthy for that person. Church, this speaks to us because the Corinthians, their morality was shaped more around what was acceptable in their culture rather than what God had called them to do in his kingdom. Our vision of morality is often shaped by what's acceptable in society rather than a commitment to the word. Paul is helping these people see that what is morally acceptable in culture, what may be a license in culture, may actually be spiritually harmful in helping and walking with believers and witnessing to those who do not believe. Church, it may be lawful to live together with a girlfriend or boyfriend before marriage. We got to go there today. We hear things like, it's not hurting anyone. There's consent involved. There's no abuse involved. There's no law behind it. It's really nobody's business about who I live with. There's no specific instruction in scripture that tells me that I cannot live with my partner. There's financial benefits to it. There's convenience. It's a test of compatibility. It can also be something that actually safeguards from divorce because if you have a space to live with someone before marriage, you're able to judge if you should marry them before you make that commitment. It may be lawful. It may be permissible. But is it beneficial? Does it build up the faith or reflect the faith in a way that will bring glory to God? Not only in Scripture, we see statistically that 50% of cohabitating couples never get married, or if they do get married, they have a higher rate of divorce. Why is this? It's because men view this practice as a convenience in order to test drive the relationship. 
And as they do that, they receive benefits from the relationship without ever having to fully commit to the person. For our sisters, it's a view. The view is it's a step towards marriage. That if I commit to this way, if I show myself worthy of his love, show myself worthy of his affection, then over time, he'll commit to me. Church, let's be honest as we reflect on this, that living together outside of marriage is an illegitimate attempt to practice and enjoy the, cover, the benefits of covenant without the commitment of covenant that God requires of us. Is it permissible? The Corinthians are saying, I'm allowed to do anything. Paul is saying that everything is not good for you. Is it permissible? Is it lawful to date a unbeliever? There's a conversation we need to have in the church because there's an experience where there are good people who initiate relationships, who are financially stable, emotionally healthy, who carry great conversation, who are kind and compassionate, but they are outside of the church. And this leaves us with this question. What do you do when a person has everything you long for except Jesus? What do you do when everything you desire, all the good values, even things that should be attributed to relationships in the church, what do you do when they have everything you want but they don't have Jesus? Paul is teaching the Corinthians that it may be socially acceptable especially in a synchronistic culture where you can merge phases, you can combine phases, and as long as there's agency and no longer no any abuse and consent in the relationship, as long as those things are present, it's acceptable. But what Paul is saying is that it may be socially acceptable, but it has spiritual implications and consequences that are harmful and unhelpful in your faith. Second Corinthians 6, 14, it says, do not become partners or yoked with those who do not believe. What partnership is there between righteousness and lawlessness? Or what fellowship does light have with darkness? This passage is not saying that we cannot have friendships or relationships with believers. And somebody may even dismiss this and say that this is why Christianity is not healthy. Because certain people are not accepted or loved in particular ways just because of their faith commitment. I want to say this morning that Christianity, as Tim Keller would say, is the most exclusive and inclusive religion in the world. It's the most inclusive in the world because all can come. It's the most exclusive because all must come to Jesus. This is a matter of faith when we're talking about Loving one another, thinking about who we date, how we should date. So oftentimes we do not think about our collective Christian witness because we individualize our faith. You have to ask yourself, what does this practice? How does dating communicate my faith to others around me? This is a hard question for us to wrestle with because we often don't think about the social implications of our commitment in dating. What does uh, openness to date outside of God's principles teach people about Jesus? Watch this. Dating an unbeliever or dating in a way that God has 
not allowed or called us to may actually become a barrier for them in becoming a believer. That dating outside of the boundaries God has set can actually hinder the faith of another. It may actually compromise their faith in a way that would draw them away from Jesus. Our values are often shaped by cultural norms and our desires become rights that we feel like we must protect. But we have to caution ourselves and we must encourage one another and those who are involved in dating practices and those who are discipling and caring for those who are dating. We cannot compromise our witness for Christ. We compromise our commit, our, our, we compromise our witness for Christ and we confuse those who do not know them when we actively live in ways that God has not called us to. First, we must recognize what God has called us to in using our freedom to bless others. We see that, but then we also see that we are called to accept the responsibility of loving others. That freedom without responsibility only exploits and it enables behaviors that contradict our faith. It uses others, others instead of serving others in order to promote faith and love. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 24, it says this, as Paul reminds them of how to use their freedom, he also reminds them of their responsibility. He says that no one should seek his own good, but the good of the other person. This text reminds us that love is the supreme ethic for the Christian. Jesus said it like this in John 13, that the world would know him through our love for one another. The golden rule calls us to do unto others as we would have them to do unto us. We see this in the life of Christ, his self-giving love that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. He who knew no sin became sin so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. This is the supreme ethic for the Christian to give our lives for others, for their benefit, to promote their flourishing, their faith, and their improvement and development. But I know that sometimes when we read passages like this, this is hard for us to accept, especially when it comes to the dating experience. Because for, for some, seeking your own good is not a form of disobedience, it's a means of protection. It can seem like it's better for you to treat others how they treat you because of the way that others have treated you in the past. You've practiced the golden rule. You consider others as more important than yourself, but it may feel like considering others as more important than yourself does not work because of the outcomes of your obedience. It is true, as one author would say like this, that in commanding us to love, God invites us to suffer. Our greatest joys in life and our greatest pains in life come from the same place, relationships. When it comes to loving and being responsible in this process, Paul encourages us and he reminds us that doing what is good for others is always what's best for us because it glorifies God. In dating, what does it look like to do good for others in relationship in a way that honors God but it also preserves your dignity. For my sisters 
in the room, my encouragement today would be to never settle. Let's have a real conversation today. I can imagine the pressures of dating, seeing and doing relationships with men who may not know Jesus but appeal to you in specific ways. The anxiety of having a desire for children and marriage and feeling like that clock is ticking. Looking around the church and seeing a lack of options in the church. On average, women make up 70% of churches in America. Even for specifically my black sisters, living in the reality of being a triple minority, having to deal with racism and sexism and classism and that being permeated within the church. Our sister Erin, she had a powerful word this week as we talked about this discussion. She said that women in a male-dominated world have to understand men, but men do not have to understand women. To break that down, she's just saying that women have to function, have to relate to, have to care for, have to figure out how to connect with men in order for them to function and flourish in our world, but men don't have that same type of burden. Yes, they, we have to acknowledge the lack of options, the societal expectations, the discrepancies that our sisters are facing. And even the tension of believing that men are, and men are created to serve and initiate and to lead, but not experiencing that in friendships in the church. I'm going to pause right here and encourage my brothers. This is an opportunity for us. As we think about what it means to relate to our sisters in the church, what would happen if God continues to move and build up our men's ministry? What would happen if we took what we were pouring into one another and we were able to give that to another man in our community, at our job, in our families, and we would see that God could and we will raise up a remnant of men who love Jesus and love people? A lot oftentimes when we talk about unreached people groups, we think about people in missions, people across the world, but in our culture, men have been an unreached people group. When it comes to connecting and meeting their pressing concerns, men are not coming to church. Men are not committed to Jesus. It's not an issue of religious interest because you look around in our community, you see Hebrew Israelites. You see Nation of Islam, men are passionate and want, have a zeal for God, but there's a disconnection between that and the Christian church. I'm saying this not to say that the primary motivation is for us to disciple and shepherd more men in order for women to have options in the church. No, our first priority is that they would know Jesus, that they would come to have saving faith in Jesus and live the abundant life God has called them to, but a fruit of that would be our sisters having opportunities to meet men within the church so they don't have to compromise certain things in order to find the enjoyment and companionship that God may have given them desire for. That's just a side note, but as we continue, I want to encourage my sisters. As you bear, as you bear that cross, those double standards, those difficulties in dating, I want, you to, I want to encourage you to be careful not to allow the experience to inform the truth about relationships. A man 
that you have to lead is a man you don't want to be with. That's Christian or non-Christian. He may have potential, but that potential does not promise change over time. Don't live under the impression that you can love somebody into maturity. That you can live as a functional savior, that if you only commit yourself to them in dating, that you can change him into a person that you would want to marry. Here in the South, we have this red Georgia clay. I remember growing up playing baseball, and it was so hard for my mom to get that thick, dirty, red, orange Georgia clay out of my clothes. She would scrub it. She would get different materials and try to scrub it out, and she never could get it. But one day she had to get some ammonia and some other substances, and she had to put it in the washer several times in order for my uniform to be clean. She could not clean it by her own power. And I want to encourage my sister today, today that you cannot play the Holy Spirit in the lives of men. That the Holy Spirit is the only one that can change. He's the only one that can penetrate the heart. He's the only one that can change a person's perspectives and his heart and his mind. No, you can participate in what the Spirit is doing. But you cannot change a person into somebody that you would want to marry. If he's not able to communicate what he wants, then he needs more time with other men. He needs more time with other sisters in order for him to grow and develop before he can pursue a relationship with you. This is an opportunity. What does it look like to seek the good of others? Watch this. Love is experienced deeply when boundaries are clearly established. Boundaries clarify commitment. Your boundaries let you know what he really wants. Does he really want you or does he really want to serve and care for you in a way that would glorify Jesus. I'm not saying that this is easy, but I'm saying that this is good and it is a healthy way to participate in what God is doing in the lives of others while still maintaining your dignity and living in the way God's called you to. Watch this. Just because there are relationships that may work in the world does not mean that that is God's will for you. Scripture Proverbs 16, 25, it says this, that there's a way that seems right to a man, but it ends in death. Do not compromise your spiritual commitment for benefits that may have spiritual consequences. I don't want to minimize your struggle. We need to make space to grieve and comfort and partner together to encourage one another in relationships, to encourage healthy dating practices that will promote love, promoting responsibility in the ways God's called us to. I don't want to minimize the struggle, but I also don't want to minimize God's grace to keep you. I don't want to minimize God's grace to keep you in the struggle and to equip you to establish priorities that will reflect your ultimate conviction and commitment in Christ. I want to encourage my sisters to never settle. And for my brothers, I want to encourage us to settle down. <laughs> Where there's a limit of options in the church, for many brothers it seems like there's an abundance of options in the church. But even in that conversation, it seems to be that those abundance of options is exposing a complacency in relationship. A complacency in dating, but also a complacency in friendship with our sisters. 
I want to encourage you, brothers, every single interaction you have with a woman is not a opportunity or an attempt to be with you. We've learned to see and understand casual conversation as evidence of physical attraction. And watch this, just because there may be physical attraction doesn't mean that there's a desire to be with you. We need to normalize physical attraction. God has created us in his image. Those are good things when we notice somebody might be attractive, but that does not mean that that person has a romantic affection for you. We interpret every interaction as an opportunity or an attempt for a woman to pursue us. This is a projection because many of us will not pursue friendships with women that we are not attracted to. We've tied a woman's worth to how good she looks rather than her inherent worth in God. We cannot seek the good of another when we are always assuming the worst motives in our sisters. This is another pressing concern we have in the church that we have to speak to because there's an idea that a Christian man cannot have platonic relationships with women. I don't know where we got that from, but we didn't get that from Jesus. Mark 15, 41, after his death, it, Mark speaks to when he was in Galilee, speaking of Jesus, these women, they followed him. And watch this, he, they ministered to him. And they were also other women who came up with him. When we read in Luke 8, 2 and 3, we see that Women were God, or was Jesus' spiritual, or not spiritual, but physical advisors who supported his ministry, who he discipled and cared for him. Now, if the Son of God, in all of his majesty, fully God and fully man, in his perfection, had women that he depended on, how can we say in the church that we don't need friendships with women? In Dating, you will not know what to look for in a woman if you are not living life with godly women. Why is this? Because you're not a woman. You don't know how God has wired them. You don't know the differences God has set before you. You don't know what they like. You don't know how they think. How are you going to have a healthy relationship with a woman if you don't have healthy relationships with women? How are we to have healthy dating relationships when friendship is not established from the beginning. God has created us to be in relationship with each other, to enjoy intimacy with one another within the boundaries God has set. Being in a relationship with women, it helps us to learn to care for them, to minister to them, and to serve them in a holy way, but it also is an opportunity for them to teach us and care for us to learn how to receive care from a woman in a way that glorifies God. And if you are willing and open to developing these relationships, you will be able to identify healthy traits in women that you should look for in a dating partner. The next thing I say, I have to preface this because we're living in a gender war. We have to avoid dismissing the hurt and the pain we've experienced in relationship by comparing experiences. 
to one another. I remember a few months ago the Tory Lanez and Meg Thee Stallion court case and looking at social media, I know that the outcome of the trial exposed a lot of things, but one of the greatest things I noticed was the resentment, the division, the frustration, the vitriol that men and women had amongst one another, the hurt, the pain, the frustration, the damage that had been done that causes us to interpret everything the other does based on how we've been hurt in different ways. Church, we have to heal. God in his grace, the same way, in the same ways that we've been hurt, we are hurt in relationship, but God has also called us to be healed in relationship. I say all this to say this, and this is not a judgment, this is an encouragement and a prayer for our brothers. An unwillingness to pursue dating through friendship with our sisters is not really about their intentions. It's more about our insecurities. This is an opportunity for us to heal. We have to learn to give God access and authority to everything in our life, give God access to our pain. Our strength is not just found in our ability to protect and provide. Our ability is, our strength is found in us being honest with ourselves. Being honest so that our perception of women has been shaped by our hurts in the past and in the present and is shaping how we think of our relationships in the future. A lot of times we talk about daddy issues for brothers. But when you look at the dating landscape, it seems like there's a lot of mother issues that brothers have not dealt with as well. The way we have experienced sisters has been shaped by family relationships. Some of us have had to live as surrogate fathers in our homes and there's a resentment and frustration we have towards women. We've been trained and shaped by our experiences, and that has not left space for us to receive what God has said for us in relationships. Listen, our ability to distance ourselves from our sisters in relationships in our culture is seen as a sign of wisdom, but it's really a form of fear. It's the fear of being hurt, the fear of being Damage the fear of opening ourselves up to be transparent with one another and not, that not being reciprocated. Us being looked at less of a man because we have limitations. But I want to tell you, brothers, perfect love cast out fear. Our confidence as men has to be rooted not in our abilities, but in God's perfect love for us. So much of our understanding of our sisters has to be reshaped and renewed through God's word in spending time and also spending time in cultivating relationships with them. What does this look like for us as we think about our freedoms to date without the, with also the responsibility to love? A few things that we must be reminded of as we think about application. In this dating process of getting to know one another while also trying to assess God's will for that relationship, we need community. Proverbs 18, 1, it says this, one who isolated himself pursues selfish desires. He rebels against all sound wisdom. 
I love what my sister Jordan said this week. She said, community gives us a broader and clearer perspective on social behaviors between sexes. I think that sometimes we misinterpret or mistake a lot of mannerisms or social tendencies for advances because we don't have friends in the community of believers who through appropriate time, through social gatherings, give us an idea of what the opposite sex is like and what we can learn from and expect from them. Community is an opportunity to get to know one another and also to safeguard us in a way that will lead to healthy, faithful pursuit of one another in dating. The truth is, if we are left to ourselves, we'll deceive ourselves. That if we are not, if we are making decisions outside of the context of community, we'll find ourselves in spaces that actually harm our faith and lead us away from what God has called us to. This is also a pattern that we've seen in the church, and this is important when we're thinking about making decisions. Oftentimes, when it comes to dating, in our community, we inform people of who we're dating instead of inviting them into the dating decision process. And then when we, in, when we inform them, we expect a celebration. We expect everybody to be happy for us because we found love. But the truth is we haven't invited anybody into the conversation. Nobody's been able to vet or know that person. Nobody's able to ask them questions. Nobody's able to assess their spiritual development and formation, and you've been left to yourself to make this decision. We have to learn to invite people into the dating process, invite people into the decision to inform the decision before we make the decision. This is an opportunity for us to experience relationship and community with one another as we think through and process this experience. We have to ask ourselves the question, is this person spiritually healthy? Are they connected to other believers? Do they submit to leadership? Are they, do they know how to work through conflict? When they mess up, are they repentant? All those are helpful questions that need to be asked in community in order, in order to provide wisdom in the conversation. Secondly, we need to commit to learning about compatibility. Compatibility is the state of two people coexisting and enjoying one another, accepting their differences with a willingness to integrate their lives together. You may be dating a Christian that you enjoy and you guys have a lot in common, but that person may feel called to overseas ministry. Do you feel called to that? They may see themselves as traveling. They may want to, they may work, not, they may not work from home. They may not work a nine to five. They may travel a lot during the week. Are you able to work with that? They may feel a call or a burden to a certain vocation that would put strains on a marriage if you were to get married. Are you okay with that? We have to ask those questions. Do you like the person? <laughs> Do you like spending time with that person? Can y'all have casual conversation and just enjoy one another's presence? Are you attracted to the person? I've heard these very interesting conversations about if a Christian should marry or marry somebody they're not attracted to. No. <laughs> it doesn't make 
That don't make sense. And, and, and honestly, if you are honest with somebody and letting them know that you're not attracted to, the, to them in the way they may be attracted to you, that's a loving thing. That is you being honest with that person and not hiding how you actually feel. That's an opportunity for you to love that person so that they can move on to the next thing. And also, that's still an opportunity to preserve a friendship. Even if the dating situation or experience does not work, we are still brothers and sisters, and that should be preserved at all costs. Secondly, we need to have clarity. Four different things we need to have when it comes to having healthy expectations for one another. Every, every expectation needs to be spoken, conscious, realistic, and agreed upon. Oftentimes, we come into relationships with expectations based on our desires and not based on what has been communicated to us. It's important for us to have clarity in relationship in order for us to know where the, the relationship is going and the direction that the relationship is going. Things need to be clear in order for us to have an honest and loving experience in the process. And next, we have to be reminded that God is in control. Noldy, we were talking this week and basically we discussed how there's a pressure and an anxiety that we have in dating that is unholy. That we enter into these conversations, we enter into these relationships with performance-based engagement. We live in a way where we are trying to be perfect in order to ensure that that person will accept us. And I know that may come from our experiences. It may come from relationships that have taught us to guard ourselves and to perform and to live in a facade because honesty may lead to rejection. But I want to encourage us that God's sovereign hand over our lives, that he's promised that all things will work together for the good of those who love him. This frees us up to pursue relationships without promised outcomes. I encourage us to be free to enjoy the relationships you're in, to get to know a person, to enjoy and cultivate friendship with one another within the boundaries God has set. It should be a joyful experience. We can learn how to make godly decisions in the process of dating when we can trust God that he will apply his divine outcomes to the decisions. We don't have to control every single instance, every single moment in that relationship. We can free ourselves up to make decisions that are in step with God's purposes and plan for us and entrust ourselves to the outcomes that God provides. Doing what's best for others. It glorifies God because it seeks to strengthen the faith of another person. Our goal, our hope should be that as we are entering into relationships, as we're considering dating relationships, that we should be thinking about that other person's commitment to Jesus, their faith, what would be best for them. If you look at them and you assess where they are in this moment, dating may not be what's best for them in that moment. Are you willing to love them in that? Are you willing to lay down your life? Are you, are you willing to bear up your cross even when your desires may not be in step with God's purposes in the moment? If our goal is to strengthen the faith of another, even if it does not lead to a desired outcome, God's will is our sanctification. 
if dating leads to that desired outcome, which the destination should lead to a covenant relationship with a person. If dating leads to a desired outcome or if it's just a season that grows you in relationship to help you mature, by God's help, by God's spirit, these motivations to do good to others and to glorify God, safeguard and deepen our faith and encourage the faith of those we may be pursuing relationship with or we may be interested in pursuing relationship with. Let's pray. Father, I know that this is a weighty discussion, a weighty topic. Father, I pray that you would give us wisdom, give our church wisdom on how to best serve and love those who are single and interested in dating, single and looking for opportunities, dating and trying to figure out what's the next step. Lord, you said in your word, if anyone lacks wisdom, let him ask of God. And I pray, Lord, that you would give us wisdom, give our singles wisdom on how to process and think through how to approach this experience. Those who are dating, God, would you give them wisdom, God? Would you give them your word? Would you give them people to surround them that would care for them and support them in the process? Father, I pray that the ultimate goal would be that we would be conformed to your image and that we would have healthy relationships that would reflect your, reflect your love and that would lead to healthy and beneficial relationships that would reflect goodness in our church throughout the world. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.